the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. It's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Why did my clock mess up on me here? i got to fix this now. I thought I fixed it before we started here. i got a digital clock issue that is not updating my clock. Yeah. For some strange reason, that's got me in a different time zone situation here. I'll figure it out. I do know that it's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Now nine minutes. On a Wednesday, the 20th morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And we appreciate you being here. Um, I'm just going to say this point blank um, and let the chips fall where they may. I'm done with Ukraine. I am officially done watching my government take money out of my paycheck every week and then collect it together with all of the money they're taking out of your paycheck every week and then putting it into a big old envelope and sending it to Ukraine where only the good Lord knows where it goes from there. What good it's doing and how much of a responsibility we should play or I should play or you should play in the outcome of the Russia-Ukrainian war. I'm done. 
The White House confirmed that the Biden administration has spent around $113 billion on the war in Ukraine thus far. Biden, along with other left-wing Democrats and some moderate Republicans, particularly neocons, who haven't met a war that they wouldn't fund, they have all pledged to give more than that. Tomorrow, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is going to be back in Washington, D.C., hat in hand, holding it out, saying, put some money in here. We need more. We need more. We need more. I'm done giving more. I am done funding a war effort that directly does not impact the United States. Now, you may recall shortly after, if you're a dedicated listener, and God bless you if you are, you may recall I did an interview with an actual Ukrainian soldier from the front shortly after the Ukrainian war began last year. Somebody made arrangements for me, put me in touch with them, and I stood and and spoke in solidarity with their effort. Talked about how, yeah, we're, we're proud to be helping them because we share a common enemy, obviously, in Vladimir Putin. And the humanitarian crisis that was the war, that was the invasion uh, into Ukraine, certainly deserved our support to push back. After all, this is an ally. Not a NATO ally, but an ally. And I was fine with it. I had no earthly idea where it was headed. I had no earthly idea that we were headed to a place where my money would continue to be taken from me and yours from you until, well, until forever. Because what we are being told from the Biden administration, left-wing Democrats and moderate Republicans, is we will pay any amount, no matter how long it takes, for Ukraine to win the war and drive the Russians back out of their country. Now, my friends, that is a blank check with an open end date that no one can or should try to justify. What, are you kidding me? Any amount? What, what, are, we, what are we talking about? We spent $113 billion so far. There's a move now to put in the, uh, in the coming budget bill another $25 billion or so for Ukraine. Where, where, where does, when you say any amount for as long as it takes... Nikki Haley said this on the August 23rd Republican debate stage, too. Any amount for as long as it takes. What, do you really mean any amount? What, do you, what, if, it's, what if it goes from $113 billion to $500 billion? That's half a trillion dollars. Well, I stopped there. Why not? What if, what if, what if it's a trillion dollars? A nation that is $33 trillion in debt right now, that is operating on a $2 trillion budget deficit, has already spent $113 billion of our dollars on Ukraine. What do we have to show for it? What will we have to show for the next $25 billion? What will we have to show for the next $100 billion after that? Senator J.D. Vance sounds like he's just about done, too. The White House Office of Management and Budget finally responded to Senator Vance and more than 30 other Senate Republicans who demanded way back in January a full cross-cutting report on all of the security assistance provided to Ukraine. They had been given a February deadline 
They finally answered last week. <laughs> In September. More than $113 billion have been spent, and I am officially done. There is a very real threat of a government shutdown coming over this budget bill. A very legitimate threat because, quite obviously, there is, you know, the Democrats in their wildest spending fantasies can never spend enough. They certainly can never spend within their means. They will always find a way to borrow from more or do what they're going to do, which is come to you and just completely destroy your life looking for every other nickel you have ever not paid in taxes. I'll get to that part of the story in a moment. But they're they're not going to stop ever because I firmly and fully believe they are being enriched from this. That the Ukrainian war effort, and this is not to say that we shouldn't stand with in solidarity the people of Ukraine because they have had, you know, a foreign invasion. Do we want Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine? And then once they take over Ukraine, invade Poland, and once they invade Poland, suddenly we've got a whole, you know, new Soviet bloc being uh, formed with, uh, you know, with, with, with Nazi-esque tactics and trying to take over the whole of Europe. Obviously, nobody wants that. But I don't believe that that's where this is headed. And I do not believe that the money that we have already poured into Ukraine is all going for the defense of Ukraine. I firmly believe a lot of that money is being spread around other globalist leaders and probably a significant portion being funneled right back to where it started. Not the United States coffers, I mean to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I firmly believe that every step of the way. That that is where a lot of this, these funds, these you know, uh, uh, that are being referenced in in whistleblowers reports and FD ten twenty threes and so forth, uh, all of the information we have about Biden's getting five million per Biden uh, in order to uh, in order to facilitate certain favors from the Biden administration. Uh, I firmly believe a lot of that money is our own. It's coming right back to us, well, to them anyway. But until. Unless and until, while I do not want to completely abandon the idea that we support Ukraine to the extent that we already have in funds and we can continue to do in policy, in directives, in public support, in international support on the, uh, on the world stage, I would say this. Until the nations that border Ukraine, including the NATO allies, that Ukraine would love to be a part of, but they are not a part of NATO. But until our fellow NATO allies that are actually in the region, in Eastern Europe, until they come up with $120 of their own dollars and match us nickel for nickel, then I'm done sending any more nickels. Who is more directly impacted by a Russian incursion into Ukraine than the than the NATO-allied nations that border Ukraine and Russia. Nobody. We spent $120 billion trying to fortify their border because its sovereignty has been violated. They've, they've said this out loud. Did you know that the Office of, Manage, uh, of uh, um, Management and Budget Director, Shalanda Young, wrote a letter in response to J.D. Vance explaining that the security assistance that has been provided, was done so to protect that nation's sovereignty, that word should ring out to you. It should go off in your head like an alarm. She wrote, quote, 
With bipartisan congressional support, the United States has provided security, economic, and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine as it continues to fight to defend its sovereignty following Russia's brutal invasion. This support has been critical to Ukraine's success on the battlefield as well as the ability to help people endure harsh conditions, end quote. Now, why did I say that should come uh, sound like an alarm in your head? Because our border is under every bit as much of an invasion as Ukraine's border with Russia is. We are under, we are in, in it, we're facing and enduring an invasion every single day as bad as what Russia is doing to Ukraine. Except they're not all Russians. In our case, they're Russians, they're Chinese, they're Pakistani, they're Mexican, they're Honduran, they're uh, Salvadoran. They're South American. 165 nations from around the globe have been part of the invasion. That has completely erased our national sovereignty. Not a word of concern from those sending the hundred-plus billion dollars to Ukraine. Not a word of concern about our sovereignty. Do you know who's coming across? People doing every bit as much destruction to the United States people and their security as the Russians are doing, to Ukraine. Bringing enough drugs in the form of fentanyl and heroin and cocaine and meth from drug cartels around the globe into this country enough to kill every person on the planet five times over. I'm sorry, every person in the country five times over. Cartel members, human traffickers, gang members, terrorists on the watch list the worst of the worst flooding our border literally destroying our sovereignty and nobody gives a rip but we're willing to send 113 billion dollars to ukraine and now here comes Zelensky asking for more and you have left-wing democrats and moderate squish republicans saying yes we'll send you more as much as it takes for as long as it takes mitch mcconnell included are you kidding i'm done with this And I'm here to say that any Republican who signs or votes in favor of a budget bill that includes tens of millions of more dollars, tens of billions of more dollars for Ukraine in this upcoming budget bill, whether it be in the form of a continuing resolution or what have you, anybody who votes for that now without a specific end date in mind, and a cap on future spending on anything having to do with Ukraine should be primaried right the hell out of Washington. That's what I believe. Anybody who votes in favor of giving them more money when we are $33 trillion in debt in the middle of a $2 trillion budget deficit, they should be primaried right out of office. Get rid of them. Done. You're fired. As the, uh, as the old saying goes. I'm interested in your point of view on this at 216-901-0945. As well as your perspective on how much more money the government is willing to take from you in order to fund these types of bills. Remember that promise that Joe Biden made? Remember that promise that the Democrats made? when they passed the quote-unquote Inflation Reduction Act, 
which included the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents? Remember when they promised they're not coming after middle America? Remember when they promised you they're only going after people who make $400,000 a year or more? We're going after the richest of the rich. That's what this is for. And remember how we told you you don't need 87,000 IRS agents to go after 1% of the population that's making over $400,000 a year? That you only get 87,000 new IRS agents when you plan to come for the entire population to squeeze every plug nickel that they can out of everybody through audits of everybody. Well, it's all coming home to roost. The Treasury Inspector General has said the quiet part out loud now. The IRS is not going to limit its increased audits to taxpayers with incomes over $400,000. It's not going to limit them at all. It will simply expand audits for everybody. Everybody. You, me, everybody. And while the left stands behind such ideas in order to make sure that they get more funding for more tax, uh, for more spending, whether it be on Ukraine or some of their other pet projects, the left says, well, if you've never cheated on your taxes, then what do you have to worry about? Well, you're worried about an audit. Chuck Todd said this on TV like 20 times, and I wanted to reach through the screen and punch him. Well, if you pay your taxes, why are you worried about being audited? These people have any idea what an audit is? Do you have any idea that when they audit you, you are the exact opposite of a, of, of, a, of a criminal case in which the justice system considers you innocent until proven guilty? When they come to audit you, you are considered guilty until you find a way to prove yourself innocent. And it costs money, and it costs time, it costs paying a tax attorney to represent you, all for them to eventually find out at the end of the day, okay, you're clean. Now you're, you're out thousands of dollars in attorney's fees and lost wages and work, but they're all like, well, we squeezed you. And, and if we would have found one late payment or if we would have found one misplaced decimal point, we would not only go back at you for that, but also for interest and penalties on top of that, just so they can send it to freaking Voldemort uh, Zelensky. I'm done. I am done with what this government, this giant, massive democratic machine, this tax and spend machine, and giving your money away to everybody except you, what they're doing to us has got to come to an end. And if any Republicans assist them in this by way of voting for any spending bill, any budget bill that includes funding for these things, get them the hell out of Washington. It's time to put the pressure on every single one of them. All right, it's 925. Let's do our pledge before we take our time out for the bottom of the hour. Patriots stand and pledge your allegiance and as well as your fortune, apparently, every nickel that you have to give it to Ukraine. All right, I digress. Uh, But let's go ahead and uh, stay proud of the nation that we have built, even if it's being taken away from us. Um, Put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you believe in, well, giving our hard-earned tax dollars away to foreign governments as opposed to uh, using that money to protect our own sovereignty, well, then you you probably don't have any respect for this flag anyway. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to the socialist quarterback over there. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, 
indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 926, back after the bottom of the hour break. Always right, Radio AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. You know, I don't always uh, check my text messages in between segments during commercial breaks. Sometimes I'm doing the commercials. Sometimes I'm just doing more prep work. And occasionally I will check my phone. I'm glad I did this time because I have a text message here from uh, one Kersenau, comma Peter. He doesn't usually listening to me when we're live because uh, he always goes back and listens at the end of the day because of his job. You know, he's a lawyer and a member of the Civil Rights Commission and so forth. He doesn't usually have time to sit there and listen to the radio, but he was today. And he gave me permission to use this on the air. Bob, in my car on way to a meeting, so have been able to listen to your open. Couldn't agree more. By end of the year, we will have spent $150 billion on Ukraine but less than one one-hundredth of that for our border. The money Ukraine gave to Biden, Kerry, and Pelosi was well spent. Mitch McConnell can go straight to hell, too, and so can Pence, who says, in contrast, that American security is not his concern. You remember that? When was there a vote on this? Second text from Pete. Also, what about our national security? Biden has already admitted and in his usual hyper-stupid fashion, and that we are running out of... I think there's a, I think he must be using voice... To, must have been using voice-to-text here. Some of this is a little hard here. Biden has already admitted, and in his usual hyper-stupid fashion, that we're running out of ammunition. While we take our eye off the ball, China is making advances all over the world, and we're not prepared for their incursion into Taiwan, which could precipitate World War III. I completely concur. I completely concur. And by the way, I, you know, I take no pleasure in pointing out that our American government and our, our, our State Department and our Pentagon, our Defense Department, and our, uh, our Congress that actually funds everything and has to make the decisions on how money is spent. They're the ones who control the purse, spring, purse, spring, uh, purse strings. I, I take no pleasure in acknowledging that they are putting us all in grave jeopardy that we are obviously under invasion right now by our southern border, that American, or excuse me, yeah, that uh, American enemies and, and, you know, countries with which we are not allied, I don't want to call them all enemies, but maybe adversarial nations in some ways, are indeed shoring up their militaries, stockpiling weaponry, training, training, and training, and drilling, and waiting for the moment where it's time to go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of Braveheart. Uh, hold, hold, hold now. And, and that's what they're going to do. And we are not going to be prepared for it because we're spending all of our money on somebody else's military, somebody else's security. And that's the reality. Pete's right. We're not going to be prepared for a wide variety of reasons, part of which or one of which is the funding and the other of which is the preparation. And yet here we are. And, and, and all day tomorrow, Virtue signalers on the right and radicals on the left are all going to be hugging Volodymyr Zelensky and telling him how much we love you and how much we are going to fill your your war chest with more American tax dollars, no matter what it does to America's security needs and America's sovereignty. That's the reality of it. Let me bring in Seth, who is running our show 
Seth, tell tell everybody what you just said to me when we went into that break at the bottom. You got me fired up. I got you fired up. Oh, Why? And then, do you want to hear the other part, too, or no? Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Um, and I think that the entire city of Parma just shut off the radios. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, what I told you, I'll say, I'll say live. I don't care. The people in Parma are now in Parma. The people in the Ukrainian communities of Northeast Ohio are in Northeast Ohio, not Kiev. There's a reason for that. Why? What is that reason, do you think? Seth, why are they here and not there? Um, because this is a better place. They came here because they decided America was a better place. Yes. And when you do that, aren't you essentially saying that? I, I, I should defend and respect this place that I have chosen to be in rather than the one that I left because I could not get ahead or I could not achieve what I wanted to achieve or I could not find the security I wanted to find. Whatever the needs that you have that weren't being met in Ukraine or in Uganda, in France or in Finland, in, in El Salvador or in uh, England, I don't care where you've come from. See the alliteration I tried to do there? Okay. I don't care where you've come from. You left there to come here because you like it here better. Therefore, your allegiance should be to where? It should be to here. Now, does that mean forget your roots? Of course not. I love St. Patrick's Day. I love the Irish festivals. I love the fact that people of, of Mexican descent celebrate uh, Cinco de Mayo. We celebrate it along with them. I'm not saying you forget your heritage. Or where you came from. I, I love Oktoberfest. I'm German. I love Oktoberfest too. But guess what? My loyalty and thus my, my funds, my votes, my decisions should be best made on what is best for this country that I have chosen. Or that I was born into because my ancestors chose to come here from those other places where they just could not get all of the things that they wanted out of their lives. So to, to the Ukrainian population of Parma, if you're still listening, don't, you can't take this personally, but you should be thinking, what do I need, what do I do now that is best for my family here? That doesn't mean you abandon your, your countrymen. Say prayers for them. Offer support for them. How about, though, when it comes to funding them, demand, first of all, transparency on where every dollar they've gotten from us is going, and number two, how about demanding that the other nations in the region that consider themselves allies uh, in, in, the, in the battle against Russian expansion and the reformation of the Soviet bloc that maybe this is, you know, you know, portends to be, how about you demand that they all unite and support and fund? And they're the ones who raised the next hundred billions, a uh, hundred billion American. And Lord only knows what that translates to in euros or whatever it is, you know, whatever mode of currency that they have. How about you demand that they do this? This is not an anti-Ukrainian person, you know, uh, rant, but this is an anti-endless bottomless blank check um you know war funds that that you know that have been promised by the American government to the suffered it just cannot be like this and again especially when they're coming after you to pay for it they can't we're 2 trillion dollars in deficit in a deficit right now 33 trillion in debt overall as i mentioned before and and guess what they want to send more 
how they doing that? They're coming after you with these new uh, with the new IRS agents. They're going to tax you to the hilt, and they're going to penalize you, and they're going to punish you as much as they possibly can. So, I, all I'm saying is, am I am I trying to abandon you know the good people here who are who are Ukrainian of Ukrainian descent? No. Am I trying to tick you off? No. Am I trying to to alienate you? No. Uh, but I am trying to say, let's be realistic about where you are now. Anybody who moves to the United States of America, who emigrates to this country, and I don't care where you're from, as I just listed a few nations, I don't care where you're from. If you come to this country and then say, my loyalty is still to the other country, then you really, really don't have any idea about the country you just moved to. It's like it's like seeing at some of the protests, people waving back and forth their national flags on the streets of the United States of America. They're waving their flags from, you know, their their Central American countries or their Latin American countries or their South American countries or their African countries or their Asian countries or whatever the case might be, as if they're saying, this is who we are and this is our loyalty. And I'm thinking, well, if you're flying that flag instead of the American flag, why the living hell are you in America? Go find a spot back where that flag is the one that flies the highest. Go make your life's fortune and dreams come true there. Because when you come here, you put that one down and you pick up the stars and the stripes. That's how it's supposed to be. I welcome thoughts. Um, Agreement or disagreement at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I'm not ready to abandon the effort in Ukraine, but I am done funding it. I am done funding it, period, point blank. Find another source of funding. Find funding that is near you. Find it from people who are going to be far more impacted by Russians, the Russian invasion, than the United States is. That's where I stand. I stand with J.D. Vance. I stand with every other American politician, senator, member of Congress that says, we are doing our part, we have done our part, but we are done doing our part. Now the rest is up to you. When Volodymyr Zelensky gets here tomorrow, everybody can hug him in his John Fetterman-style sweatshirt as much as they want. But when he holds his hand out and expects you to fill it with coin, it's going to be time to say good luck to you. Shake that hand and send him on his way. This can't happen anymore. More coming up, 944 Always Right Radio. Yeah, Admiral John Kirby, now with the uh, spokesperson for the NSC, said that if you're not going to do, uh, excuse me, if you're not going to financially support Ukraine, you shouldn't do anything to make it easier for Putin to kill more Ukrainians. Do you think? Nobody is suggesting that Ukraine shouldn't be supported, but our support has to have a cap, and it has to have an end date. That cap and that end date have both been met. It's time for someone else to assist, and those would be his neighbors. Some of our NATO allies, even though Ukraine is not a NATO member, some of our NATO allies in the region should be the ones who now step up. We are, we cannot fund this anymore. We cannot fund a forever war. This is literally going to be a forever war. You want to know why and how? Very simply. Because we don't know where every nickel is spent and how it is spent. We have no idea if they're being, the dollars are being used to buy munitions to fight Russians or if they are enriching Ukrainian oligarchs. 
And they just keep coming back and saying, "Our people, our people are being, our people are being attacked. We need more to push back the threat of Putin." And then they take that money and they just laugh their heads off when they're outside of the camera view. And they are collecting it and they're banking it. And well, a few months later, we'll go back for another twenty million, twenty billion dollar outlay. And this will go on forever because Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden, which are you know moderate to leftist Republicans and far leftist Democrats, are all united in their belief that it's it, there's no price tag that'll be too great to stop the Russians. There is no end date. For as long as it takes, as much as it takes, that's what we'll be giving them. And then Zelensky is just over there just. I won't say he's laughing, but you understand the point. Tanya in uh, Akron. Hi, Tanya. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Missed you yesterday with your mouth, with the malfunction on the uh, app. So I caught you on the. Uh, yeah, the streaming service the, went uh, down. Yeah, the streaming ser- streaming service went down yesterday, shortly before we came on the air live. We got it fixed shortly after the show ended. But anything you may have missed, by the way, is on the podcast. It's uh, uploaded at whkradio.com. And the podcast was great. A um, couple things. I'm, I've been 100% with you with your topic this morning, but I got there about four months ago. Uh, the money they're spending is is a is a I don't know it's it's a Ponzi scheme to me. Now we're going to pay for the, their war, then at the same time simultaneously we're going to pay for the rebuilding of their country which is not going to get rebuilt because they're going to bomb it because they're talking about rebuilding parts of it right now. And then we're going to protect their borders after they come to some kind of a truth that they should have come to a year ago. But we have our generals and our top military and political leaders said we need to protect their bound their borders when they're letting anyone flood in. Things I would tell people in Congress, like J.D. Vance, no more money, and every dollar we send to Ukraine, we send to our border. Every dollar that we send for dollar we send to them from now on is a loan. They have to pay it back because this is a black hole that we'll never get out of it, you know, Thirteen billion dollars. Thirteen. What is it? How much did we spend? A hundred and a hundred and thirteen billion so far. A hundred thirteen billion dollars. The border could have been secure. Social Security and Medicare could have been uh, they won't supported. Look like yeah. they're going bankrupt. Yeah. All the things that we could be doing with that money in this country, but you got people that I love. People that come from different countries. If you want to help the country of your origin, go back and help them. Yeah. These taxpayer dollars. I don't have a problem with helping them, but we're fighting a war that's not been declared, money that we don't know where it's going for, and it is a funnel for more money. The cartels are running our borders, and we're going to fight a border that is eventually the Russians are going to have anyway. Because they're not going to win this war. Well, that's the real, that's the real, yeah, that's the real question that nobody is willing to address. And that is, how do you define success? When they say, as much as it takes for as long as it takes, what does that mean? What does it look like at the end? That every Russian is driven back across the, the, the border? 
right across that red line. And until every Russian is driven back, this is a forever war and it's a forever expense and it's a forever dip into our pockets. What exactly does it look like? What about just when no more Ukrainians are being killed? What about when no more attacks are being waged? What about that? What exactly, how do they define, uh, quote unquote, as long as it takes? As long as it takes for what? When it's an undefined mission, they can justify the forever funding. And, uh, and, and, and again, I, and I think it's a money, la- money laundering operation, not just by the oligarchs in Ukraine, but I think a lot of that money comes back to the first family of crime. It's, it cannot just be coincidental that all of this is going on as there are massive amount, there, are, there is a massive pile of evidence indicating that Joe and Hunter Biden and several other Bidens have been receiving funds from Ukrainian oligarchs. As, as Hunter Biden sat on that Ukrainian energy board and, and Joe Biden went and got that prosecutor fired, it cannot be coincidental that they all got rich and there are bank records to prove how much money flowed into their accounts at the same time we are sending money over to Ukraine now. It's just, uh, it's, it's too coincidental. One more thing, Bob. The demoralization of our army with all this social justice in our military isn't it, isn't it coincidental they're willing to spend more money on that versus teaching our men and women how to be fighters of wars, but we're sending money to another country that will prop up their so-called fighters of wars. This is nothing. This is a plan that's been hatched from the pits of hell long, long time ago by the, the neocons and the, and the Democrats for the demise of America, and everybody's just looking over it. All you have to look at it is, is right in front of our face, and we want to, and we are so tired, and we're saying it can't be true. What we know that we see and we hear, we know is true, but we're afraid to fight it. And before long, our children will be living in a third-world country because we wanted to believe I know exactly what you're saying. Tanya, great call, great points all the way around. Thanks very much. And you got to that point four months before I did good. I think I was too, but I wasn't really going to say it out loud. I kind of it felt like this for a long time, <clears throat> but I didn't know when I wanted to say it and actually bring the hammer down. That hammer comes down the day before Zelensky returns to D.C. tomorrow. That's what, the reason I'm making that decision now, and that's the reason I'm saying it now, especially because of this budget bill in which so many of them want to pump 20-plus billion more into the Ukraine fund. Um, Chris in North Royalton. Chris, go right ahead. Hello, how are you doing? Good, Chris. What's on your mind? I have two questions. So how can we send money over there when we can't even fund our government? Congress is now debating over extending the budget uh, to fund our government to keep it going. That's the first question. And second, if this is such a good cause, which I think it is to help people, then let's cut our budget back and take fund that through cutbacks in our federal government why should we be pushing money into there and keep printing money money to fund that uh, war when it should let's make it hurt let's let all the people who are for it feel the pain a little bit out of the tax dollars by getting their budget cut 
for different social well, yeah, and you know the, the, the worst part about it or best part about it is is you know they wouldn't they wouldn't even have to cut anything that's essential we have so much crap and so much bloat in the federal budget already i agree with you how about this we condition from this point forward every dollar of aid to ukraine must be matched by a dollar of reduction in spending in any of the crap that is not necessary and whether it be you know buildings with you know left wing names on them or or pride uh, uh, streets and and all the other crap in the you know that they're putting forth in the parks and everything else all of the garbage that is just meant to placate you know particular special interest groups say dollars come out of every one of those budgets for every dollar that is sent to ukraine you put that in a bill and then yes i would support my congressman signing it yes i would too good stuff I, thank you chris i appreciate okay, you you got it. Uh, it's 9.58. We're going to get a time out here. we got a top-of-the-hour newscast coming up. We're going to talk more about whose border really matters, the Ukraine border with Russia or the American border with Mexico that is being completely annihilated by 160-plus countries every single day. Lori Rees is going to join us. She is uh, Director of Border Security and Immigration Center uh, and Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. She's going to join me next. And then I want more of your calls, too. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Seth, um, do me a favor, get that Reagan clip ready again. We hear it every day at the top of hour two. This is what we play. But some days it just hits harder and it hits a little bit different. And maybe it's because of what we're talking about right now. I want to hear that Reagan clip again. Could you please replay that? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. Or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Stop Stop it. Thank you. So what are we doing? Are we indeed the last best hope for our children? And are we guaranteeing their future? Or are we sentencing them to a thousand years of darkness? What are we doing in this country? We continue to ignore that which plagues this country every single day. Both within and from outside of our borders. And then, of course... Bringing the two together by bringing every cartel, drug runner, mule, fentanyl supplier, terrorist on the watch list, human traffickers, gang members, international gang members, MS-13, the worst of the very worst. Chinese operatives from nations that are hostile to the United States, 165 different nations have been represented by illegal border crossings in the last couple of years alone. And it gets worse by the day, the week, and the month. What are we doing? Are we preserving this country for our children? Are we preserving? Are we going to gift to them that which we were gifted? Or are we going to give them an absolute quagmire, a hellhole. 
I mean, we've gone from being a melting pot, which is a glorious effort, to being, I won't even use the word uh, that I want to, uh, but a blank stew. A melting pot to a blank stew. And you can figure out what that stew is made out of. But that's what we've done. We're not going to leave our children this glorious republic. We're going to hand them the remnants of it that we let be destroyed if we're not careful. Let's talk more about this. Meanwhile, we're sending $113 billion so far to secure another border. Half a world away. The border between Ukraine and Russia. Simply inconceivable. Hour number two is underway. Thank you for being with, with us. It's the 20th morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Lori Rees is the Director, Border Security and Immigration Center, and Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Laura, thank you for the time this morning. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Bob, for having me on. Am, am I overstating the, the 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 dangers and the invasion that we are facing at our southern border right now, uh, in your opinion, Laura? Sadly, no, you aren't overstating it. Uh, I mean, one number is, is there are lots of numbers and, and historic bad records that, that Biden has hit when it comes to the border. But the most alarming, concerning one is the number of known gotaways. Uh, these are people who chose to evade the Border Patrol and give up a free ticket to anywhere in the U.S. that they want to go. And that is at least 1.7 million known gotaways. And they chose to evade the Border Patrol because they don't want to be fingerprinted, uh, because they're either convicted aggravated felons or they are carrying drugs on them or they're known or suspected terrorists or some combination thereof. That is the biggest national security risk right now. That's the gotaway portion. Let's talk about the portion that doesn't mind being captured by Border Patrol and the ones who don't mind being fingerprinted because they don't have anything on the books already, but they are here, uh, and they know as soon as they are you know, processed, they're going to be told you're going to have to return at a future time for an asylum hearing and so forth, and they get turned over or turned into the, uh, you know, the interior of the United States anyway. And that's, of course, where the massive number of 5 million-plus over the course of the last two and a half years, that's where those threats come from, and those individuals are literally coming from some of the countries that we know are uh, out to do no good to the United States. That's right. You referenced 165 countries um, sending foreign nationals here. That's over 80% of the globe. And so please don't tolerate anyone on the left uh, saying that you're a racist when you complain about the border. What what race would that be? I mean, it's just lazy. Um, But yes, this is another historic number that we're dealing with, and intentionally so by the Biden administration. They have chosen to throw up open the border, and they are weaponizing mass illegal immigration for political purposes and for their own power. And frankly, we need the people who are hollering in New York City and those on the south side of Chicago to go nationwide and wake up many more Americans as to what's going on and that it doesn't matter what country you're coming from, we cannot tolerate these numbers in our communities and the costs associated with it. We're talking to Laura Rees. She is a senior research fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation, among other titles. So I was, you know, I'm particularly incensed by the fact that uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine is back in Washington, D.C., and tomorrow he's going to be 
making his case for tens of billions more taxpayer dollars to support his border effort in stopping the invasion of Ukraine. And I was particularly taken by... The language of the uh, Biden administration coming from the White House, the OMB director, Shalanda Young, uh, in a letter to J.D. Vance in response to his demand to see exactly where all of the money is going and how much of it has been spent. She wrote, with bipartisan congressional support, the United States has provided security, economic and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine as it continues to fight to defend its sovereignty following Russia's brutal invasion. Laura, I hear words like that, and I just think, how, how, the chutzpah, how dare you talk about defending a nation's sovereignty when you are literally willing to surrender your own? The nation where 120, tell me this, you're, you're an expert in homeland security, Laura. How much good could $113 billion do on our border security and our sovereignty if it had been moved, if it had been spent there instead of on Ukraine's? Well, yeah, a big difference. You could seal the border, secure it, stop the future flow, and then detain and deport everyone um, here who is here illegally uh, and bring some integrity back to our immigration system. Um, it is galling. It is the most glaring example right now of this administration putting America last. And when there's so much evidence that Biden has been bribed by Ukraine, um, you know, a lot more people need to be asking questions and applying the brakes than just keep writing blank checks for Biden to give to Ukraine. Um, and, and also yesterday, uh, Zelensky added the twist of uh, climate change as yeah. a reason why we should be giving more money to Ukraine. So he gets the grift for sure. No question about it. Laura Rees is our guest. Um, let's talk about the fact that every state is a border state. Um, finally, you're starting to see some effects uh, from the, you know, Greg Abbott policy and the Ron DeSantis policy and others of sending, uh, you know, busloads of, of these people who are plaguing states like Texas to some of the cities that call themselves sanctuary. Eric Adams says that illegal immigration is going to destroy New York City. Karen Bass in L.A. says stop sending them. They weren't invited. And Joe Biden is now apparently toying with the idea of a remain in Texas policy. Put all of the pain on the citizens of Texas, the towns, the resources, the schools, the hospitals of Texas. They're crossing into that state. Keep them there. Don't send them anywhere else. Can you even begin to understand the, the, the or explain rather uh, for us the, uh, the impact of that, uh, that that is going to have on the people of Texas and why they should be punished as opposed to anybody else in this country? Well, a couple of things. One, he needs to look at a map again. Our border is south of Texas. So if he wants to uh, keep illegal aliens anywhere, it should be in Mexico. That was a successful policy under the last administration. Mm-hmm. Second, if he doesn't want them traveling all over the country and resettling elsewhere, then detain them. That's what the law says. And that's how just one of many ways that this administration is violating the law by not detaining them, simply catching and releasing them. And third, he can't keep them in Texas, even if he wanted to. These aliens can travel and resettle anywhere that they want, and they do. So when when taxpayer money is going to all the, the NGOs of the left that this administration is paying to receive, process, and transport these illegal aliens all over the country, the location is chosen by the alien. And migrants historically have resettled where they have family or friends or know someone or have a job lined up. 
um, and and that's how this has always worked. And it just so happens that most of those places happen to be uh, the sanctuary cities of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, these big, large urban centers. That's where they're going. You know, I mean, yes, Governor Abbott is sending busloads and so forth. But so many of them are going to these places on their own, and that is what they're complaining about now. And I guess my question, my next question to you is, when will they stop complaining and actually go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, talk to Joe Biden, talk to the czar of the border, Kamala Harris, and say, you guys are the ones that need to change this. They're not stopping in Texas anymore. You can't keep them there. They're coming to our places and we're out of room. Exactly. They can't complain if they're not going to change their policy. Uh, we need some reporters to ask these mayors, does this mean you're going to stop your sanctuary jurisdiction policy uh, if you don't like the consequences of it? Because all these mayors have done so far, in addition to complain, is demand more money from the feds to pay for it. And now they're saying, well, we need to give their work permits to these aliens faster. You're giving the aliens exactly what they want, and you're just keeping the pipeline flowing. Because future illegal aliens can see, oh, uh, I can, in fact, get that work permit, and that's what I'm after. So I'm going to enter the U.S. now, too. Um, these mayors can't be taken seriously. Uh, but it is a useful, they're, they're useful idiots right now in showing Americans that, um, they, we simply can't deal with these numbers and Americans get fed up because they're affected in the public schools, in housing, in jobs, economy, jails, crime, healthcare, so many aspects of our everyday lives. You know, it's more than just the work permits, too. You know what else they're being given in a lot of these sanctuary cities? They're being given voter registrations, not for national or or statewide elections, but for municipal elections in many of these, you know, blue cities that call themselves sanctuary. They're giving illegal aliens voting rights. How long before the municipal election is, you know, expanded to a statewide election? It's only in our state. They still can't vote for Congress and vote for national, you know, in national elections. But, of course, this has long been the goal of of importing 15, 20, 30 million illegal aliens, eventually giving them voting rights and then saying, don't forget who brought you here. Right. And and the Democrats in the U.S. Congress have even tried to vote on that. So they're going to continue to chip away and chip away at this um, with that being the end goal and just erasing the meaning of being U.S. citizenship uh, or being a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. and, and the rights and the privileges that come with that. The left doesn't care. All they care about is power and the money that flows from that. And um, they're they're doing this, as you say, at the state and local level. Um, and even if there's no law in place, they're committing all sorts of fraud to get non-citizens to vote. Um, so, yes, that is, that's the essence of what this is all about. No question about it. Laura, uh, Laura Rees is my guest, and uh, Laura's with the Heritage Foundation, uh, uh, Senior Research Fellow for Homeland Security there. Last question for you is, is, will there ever be a policy, even when, if and when a Republican retakes the White House, that would end and change the asylum laws without the quote-unquote full comprehensive immigration reform that the left demands, which is, of course, amnesty for those already here before we do anything to actually, uh, you know, crack down on the on the border, you know, build the rest of the wall or do whatever it takes. The only time they will agree with this is if there's if there's going to be an amnesty of some sort granted. So even if there's a Republican president, unless there's a fully veto proof majority in both both uh, chambers of, uh, of the Congress, um, are we ever going to get there? Well, we passed very good uh, asylum measures 
um, in H.R. 2, the Secure the Border Act in the House this May. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Ted Cruz introduced the same bill over in the Senate. Um, so it is possible and it's sorely needed uh, because the fraud has just taken over asylum. It's not even recognizable anymore. There are millions and millions of cases pending both in the immigration courts and at uh, at DHS, the agency that, that adjudicates them. And, um, I mean, I, I view asylum as the second most precious immigration benefit we give after naturalization. And the left has just watered it down to, it, it's rendered it meaningless. And uh, if we're going to continue to give humanitarian protection, we need to take back control of it. No question about it. Laura Rees, Director of Border Security and Immigration Center and Senior Research Fellow at home, and of Homeland Security at uh, the Heritage Foundation. Follow her on Twitter at Laura underscore Rees, spelled R-I-E-S, Laura, L-O-R-A. i got to spell it all because it's a little bit non-traditional. <laughs> L-O-R-A underscore R-I-E-S. Follow Laura Rees on Twitter. Very important information she's sharing there, and we certainly appreciate you sharing it here, Laura. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Scott, for having me on. Thank you. 1022, we'll take a time out. We've got time for some calls now. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. It's an underreported story. The dress code change at the United States Senate. So that John Fetterman, the walking Cro-Magnon relic, can wear his ratty, holy hoodies and gym shorts to work in the United States Senate. It's underreported. And it's understated. And there's a reason why that I will explain next. Always Right Radio, AM 1420. Okay, it's 1027. I'm going to save the um, Senate dress code story for the next half hour. Um, because I do want to get into that. We have Jack Windsor, by the way, coming up at 1110 today. So make sure you stick around for that. we got a lot to cover. Mike DeWine has COVID again. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't get his vax a million, did he? Um, Mona in South Euclid on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Mona. Go right ahead. Hello, Bob. Hi, Mona. You hear me? Yes, I do. You hear me? Yeah. All right. Then we can hear, hear each me? other together. Yeah. Go right ahead. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. I was trying to turn my radio off. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I only heard this recently, and I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but one of the, the goals of the left is to get these people in because, because um, it's residency that determines congressional districts, not citizenship. That's true. That's so exactly correct. So the more people they can get in, any living, breathing human being counts as a resident, and they can increase their um, congressional districts. And they want to turn Texas blue in the worst way. Yes, they do. That's why they want to have so many. That's why they want to have so many of them to remain remain in Texas instead of going to already blue districts and areas. Exactly. Right. Okay. So that way, anyway, that was the point I wanted to make. Oh well, I'm glad you made it. Yeah, you're you're spot on. And if I hadn't made that clear myself, I'm glad you did. Thank you, Mona, for the call. Okay. That is exactly right. correct. Um, um, when congressional districts, or excuse me, when congressional representation is determined, it's based on the population within the districts, not voters, not citizens, just population, and that would include. Yes, illegal aliens or people seeking asylum or whatever it is that you want to call them. That's exactly right. So the more of them they can plow into red areas, um, 
and then of course you know through the uh, through the magic of voter registration they can have the have uh, more more blue representation and get more seats in Congress for uh, in red areas that are blue leaning um, you know the more damage they can do in Congress that is exactly correct people don't talk about that enough I'm glad you did Sally in Berea next hi Sally go ahead hi Bob yeah regarding the um, issue of citizenship uh, I tried to get a copy of what the exact wordage on this amendment um, change coming up in um, being voted on in November, and I was told it wasn't finalized yet. And one of the things that was, um, I guess, the Dems were um, objecting to was the word citizen, and that is something we cannot compromise on. We have to have. Are you? Are you I'm, I'm sorry, the- Sally. I want to make sure I know what you're talking. Are you talking about issue one? Are you talking about the abortion uh, yeah. bill? Okay, yeah. I, I don't recall citizen being included in it. I'm not quite sure exactly what you mean. Well, apparently <clears throat> they wanted some changes. Like one of them was they didn't like the word fetus being changed to unborn child. And yeah, I guess I that. that was resolved. But then there was also some kind of dis- disagreement about the word citizen. And, and I'm just stating that we we can't back down on that. It has to be, we cannot allow citizens to be able to vote in ohio yeah i think i think in that bill that you're that uh, uh the the language of that amendment proposed amendment you're thinking of is in uh, is individual not not citizen they're saying that any individual can avail themselves of you know what they call you know health reproductive health decisions um without anybody else's input it doesn't have to be an individual over 18 it this just says individual i don't think and thank you sally for the call i don't think citizen plays a role in that part of this but that language I'm glad you brought it up, because that language, as put forth by the Secretary of State and the uh, and the uh, uh, ballot uh, language committee, if you will, that has been certified now by the Ohio Supreme Court. That literally just came down yesterday. The Ohio Supreme Court has indeed certified the language exactly as it was written, not the way the left wants to change it, as you pointed out, to include the word fetus and so forth. So we can talk more about that on the other side. Time out now. We'll be back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay. <clears throat> Never let it be said that I do not correct my mistakes. And I owe an apology to Sally. I do know what she is referring to now. I try to do my homework on all things. But I did not have the language memorized for the proposed amendment. She's right. In two spaces on the proposed ballot language, the words citizens of the state of Ohio appear. So what the Supreme Court did, that is the only significant change that was made from the language as approved by the ballot board. In Section 3, it says the proposed amendment would, Section 3, prohibit the citizens of the state of Ohio from directly or indirectly burdening, penalizing, or prohibiting abortion before an unborn child is determined to be viable, unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means. The change, according to the Supreme Court, the Ohio Supreme Court changes citizens of the state of Ohio to the state of Ohio. So removing the word citizens. Then in section five, same thing. Only allow the citizens of the state of Ohio to prohibit an abortion after an unborn child is determined by a pregnant woman's treating physician to be viable and only if the physician does not consider the abortion necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. 
So the citizens of the state of Ohio is being changed to the state of Ohio. So Sally was right. I was wrong. Sorry, Sally. The good news is, the better news is, the Supreme Court has essentially ordered the most important language is approved by the ballot board to remain as is. And that means changing fetus to an unborn child. The proposed amendment that gathered the signatures for the pro-death cult um, had used the word fetus. They think that means it depersonalizes it for people when they consider abortion. They don't know that people may know or may be aware of things that I've tried to, to educate and teach people about. The word fetus is a Latin term that means offspring, so it still means child. But uh, they thought that would help. But the language is going to read on the abortion that you will vote on for 30 days prior to and on Election Day. It's going to say unborn child, not fetus. And likewise, pregnant patient, which they threw in there to try to um, insinuate that males can give birth or males can become impregnated or non-binary individuals or whatever, that language is gone. The language shall indeed state pregnant woman in the three different places where pregnancy is referenced. Pregnant woman. So pregnant women and unborn children remain. Those are some of the biggest sticking points for the left. The Ohio Supreme Court affirmed that, and that's great news. Um, But they did change citizens of the state of Ohio to just the state of Ohio. PWO Protecting Women Ohio sent out a press release this morning applauding the Supreme Court's ruling. Quote, we applaud the Ohio Supreme Court for allowing ballot language that accurately reflects the impact of issue one to move forward. With this language, voters will understand that the amendment's many intentional gray areas will legalize painful late-term abortion on demand up until birth and strip parents of their rights. So there you go. That's some of the important uh, nuances of that. Let me get a call in from Charlie before I talk about that dress code. Charlie in uh, Brownhill. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call again. You got it. Uh, earlier you were talking about the Ukraine and, you know, whether we should continue with them. I've been against it all along, <clears throat> mostly because they are a, a nuclear power. They're the, 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 probably more nuclear weapons than anyone. And we've been talking about regime change. When you back a dictator into a corner, he, you know, he becomes extremely, extremely dangerous. And you don't know what the kind of, so far the consequences of Russia, we pushed Russia into China's arms. If you think about it, we backed Afghanistan against the Soviet Union that we spent billions there. And what did we get? We got Al-Qaeda, you know, Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, 9-11, 20 years of occupation. That was all unintended. And who knows? You, you push Putin into a corner, who knows what the un, could be annihilation. Yeah, that's uh, that's something we have talked about over the course. Yeah, over the course of the year plus now of the Ukraine Russian war, Charlie. And thank you for the call, my friend. I have brought that up, and I have talked about the cornered dog mentality, particularly one that is as prideful as as Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin sees himself as a strong man, you know, in the tradition and the imagery of of leaders gone by that's why he climbs aboard horses bare-chested and has himself photographed showing what a what a big powerful man he is his ego and his narcissism in his belief in his own you know his own um, i don't know superhuman qualities will not allow him to take a defeat and just say well we tried they drove us out they won we'll go back to just twiddling our thumbs here in russia there's a very very real chance 
that driving him out of Ukraine drives him into a further narcissistic, strongman type of action, including maybe using a nuclear weapon. I would probably call it unlikely, given the fact that such a such a dramatic act would guarantee, of course, a nuclear weapon being detonated or fired at an ICBM you know, into Russia, and they want to go down that route. It's why we held the Cold War the way we did. It's why the arms race, we have more nukes than you do now. Nope, we just passed you. Nope, we just passed you. And the reality is both sides realized if anybody fires, the other side fires too, and then they... You know, as they say, the birds cross each other in the air and both sides are destroyed. It's doubtful they would use a nuclear weapon, particularly in a border state like Ukraine, where the impact, including radiation, would impact Russians as well. But having said that, Putin's a madman. Putin is a, is, a, is, a, is a madman with narcissistic tendencies and the desire to be uh, you know, seen as a strong man and therefore somebody who cannot be defeated. De- be defeated. What would that drive him to? I don't know. I don't think it would lead to uh, nuclear weaponry, but I, but I cannot say that for sure. Nobody can. All right. Charlie, great call. Thank you. I want to pivot for a moment, if I may, because <clears throat> this is important. It's a lot more important than I think it's being um, characterized as. Chuck Schumer decided to lower the standards in the United States Senate in favor of a prehistoric Cro-Magnon or maybe Neanderthal, not quite sure of the era yet, uh, senator who literally looks like a caveman and who acts and dresses as one as well. John Fetterman is his name. You know the story. Sadly and disturbingly elected as the senator from the state of Pennsylvania, in large part because the Republican nominee was Trump-backed Dr. Mehmet Oz, and nobody wanted Dr. Oz. So here we are with John Fetterman. And John Fetterman likes to wear stinky, holy, ratty, disgusting hoodies and gym shorts and tennis shoes wherever he goes because he is, well, he's, 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 he's a bit trashy. He's an elitist, comes from money, but he doesn't like to dress the part of being successful. And so Chuck Schumer said, you don't have to. Just to give you a small idea of the response to this, Senator Susan Collins, who might be 132, I'm not exactly sure, uh, but, but close to that age, said this. I plan to wear a bikini tomorrow to the Senate floor. I plan to wear a bikini tomorrow to the Senate floor, she said, which is her way of saying this is ridiculous. Chuck Schumer, in lowering the standards and saying nobody has to wear a suit and tie anymore, you can wear whatever you want if you're in the United States Senate, but if you come to visit the Senate, by the way, did you know this? If you or I go to visit the Senate, we have to be in proper attire. There's a dress code to visit the Senate. There is no longer a dress code to be in the Senate. To be a senator. Seth Williams could go and, and serve in the United States Senate the way he dresses every day now, thanks to the new Fetterman rule approved by Chuck Schumer. And for those of you who don't know Seth, Seth dresses like what he is on the radio, yes. where there's where nobody can see you. He's, he's, he's behind a microphone, not a camera, not in front of a camera. Seth, how do you normally dress? Uh, currently, I'm wearing gym shorts and a hoodie and tennis shoes. <laughs> 
I don't think I have ever seen you not wearing a hoodie and gym shorts and tennis shoes. It could be 90 outside. I wear my hoodie and gym gym shorts and tennis shoes. I've known you for 20 years, and that's that's how you've always looked. And, and, And it's fine. I don't throw stones at you because you're dressed appropriately for where you are and what you're doing. This guy is in the United States Senate. There's an article that I want to read. I don't usually read long form, but when it's worth it, I do. This is about so much more than just dress code. Liz Peake wrote this on Fox. Democrat John Fetterman is not just a prime example of arrested development. He is a symbol of the dumbing down of standards and expectations that is undermining this great nation. Fetterman, the overgrown man-child elected to the Senate last year, is mainly known for wearing hoodies and gym shorts, a look that he thinks is cool, and which also serves as a middle finger to the establishment. The Pennsylvania legislator is so uncomfortable wearing the normal garb of successful people occupying important roles in our society, a suit and tie, for instance, that Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has relaxed the Senate's dress code, apparently to accommodate this slovenly member of that august body. Historically, there was no written dress code of the Senate. All members were adults, and they did not need to be told that respect for the institution required them to dress as such. No longer. The elimination of the Senate's dress code is the least of our problems. Much more worrisome for our country is that the same lowering of standards is taking place everywhere, often in the name of equity or racial justice. Educators across the nation are ditching tests and grades. Prompted by declining performance and self-serving teachers' unions complicit in that decline, In Portland, for example, authorities are considering new equitable grading practices which would no longer penalize kids who cheat or who skip their homework altogether because, quote, historical data shows racial disparities in students' pass-fail rate, end quote. The new approach is meant to be more fair. Talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. Degrading traditional assessments does not help the kid who gets away with cheating and falls into lifelong bad habits who may need extra help in the classroom. It certainly does not help children who behave and who work hard that deserve recognition and reward. Even in higher ed, the push for equity is lowering the bar. The Metropolitan State University of Denver no longer requires that students use standard American English. Because it is, quote, a social construct that privileges white communities and maintains social and racial hierarchies, end quote. In other words, making people speak using proper English is racist. Let people speak street, no matter how stupid it makes them sound. Because when they sound stupid, you won't know if it's just how they sound or if they actually are. That's the point. That's the equity. Well, he may be very, very smart. Just because he sounds like he doesn't know how to read, he probably does. But this is just his style. It's his culture. It's his diversity. John Fetterman is the poster child for celebrating mediocrity. He lived off his parents until the age of 49. (laughs) Do you know that? and has had one job of substance in his life, mayor of a small town that actually shrank under his watch. 
The harm done by such foolishness is profound. The school acknowledges that SAE, for example, is a version of English. Oh, I don't know why this got misplaced in the article, but it did. That SAE is a version of English that is often expected in professional and educational standings and settings, yet not demanding that students learn how to speak and write properly will almost certainly hold them back professionally. To Seattle, Seattle schools teach that Western math is Western math is used as a tool of power and oppression, and that it disenfranchises people and communities of color. You see, people who are of color shouldn't be expected to be able to do math. Have you ever heard of anything as racist as that? If I'm listening to this right now and I'm black or brown or whatever they they use to describe people who are racial minorities now, if I'm listening to that, I am insulted beyond description. How dare you say that I'm oppressed if I'm asked to do math, but the white kid next to me isn't. It's because he's smart enough to do it, and I'm just some dumb black guy, right? That's how I'm feeling. According to a reviewer of the Hoover Institution, is there any wonder that kids aren't scoring well on international assessments when they aren't expected to be able to do math or understand basic grammar and English, all because of the bigotry of low expectations? Bowing to the least common, lowest common denominator in education is hurting our kids. It's also undermining law enforcement. On his third day in office, New York's district attorney, overstuffed Alvin Bragg, published a list of crimes that he would no longer prosecute, like trespassing, resisting arrest, or turnstile jumping. Crimes that apparently overstuffed Alvin felt were inconsequential and for which people should not be held accountable. Inconsequential to whom? It certainly matters to the law-abiding citizens of New York if someone is threatening their neighborhood. It's consequential to the subway system that an increasing number of passengers are riding for free. Did he think of refusing to prosecute people for resisting arrest would make the job of a city cop easier or safer? New York City Councilman Robert Holden, a Democrat, blames Bragg's ridiculous edict for the unprecedented lawlessness we see today on city streets. He is correct. Does it need to be pointed out that the reason for these, this refusal of the prosecution of these crimes typically impacts citizens of color? No. This is all about equity. Petty crimes, trespassing, resisting arrest, turnstile jumping, shoplifting, not being prosecuted, is a way to make sure that the Ethnic minorities or racial minorities aren't locked up or fined on a higher basis, therefore being inequitable, a larger basis, or however you want to phrase that, than non-persons of color. Add all of these things up. I'm departing from the article. Add all of these things up. If you're a minority in the United States of America, you shouldn't be expected to be able to do math because you can't. You shouldn't be expected to be able to speak proper English with grammar rules being applied because you can't. And you shouldn't be expected to follow laws. And you should not be held accountable for any of those failures. We expect that you can't do those things because you're an oppressed person of color. And I will ask you again. If you are a person of color, 
How does this not enrage you? How does this not make you incensed? The belief that you are so less than that you can't speak properly, do math, complete assignments without cheating or failing to do them and being given passing grades anyway, follow laws. You can't be expected to do those things because you're less than. Is there anything more racist than lowering the standards and lowering the, lowering the expectations of people based on what they look like? And yes, this goes to the dress code issue. Lowering of standards, lowering of expectations of professionalism and adulthood for, for overgrown Neanderthals like, like John Fetterman. It just feeds the beast. Across the country today, we see unchecked thievery with criminal gangs systematically robbing stores and in turn robbing neighborhoods of vital services. Chicago's mayor is considering opening city-run grocery stores to fill the void left by companies that have moved out because of -of out-of-control theft. These costly assaults on our commercial enterprises have been inspired and sanctioned by law enforcement ignoring the shoplifter who pockets a candy bar. If he isn't held to account, criminals reckon the door is open, and then they go in and pocket more, and more, and more, and more. Why? Because they know they're not going to be arrested or prosecuted or punished because it would make an inequitable system. And equity matters more than anything. DEI, D-I-E, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Lower the standards. Lower the bar. And then watch the chaos that that takes hold. She continues, The idea we we should hold people and children to account and to high standards may seem old-fashioned, but look around. Is this new area of licentiousness helping our country to prosper? John Fetterman is the poster child for celebrating mediocrity. He was elected because some voters in Pennsylvania decided his opponent, a brilliant heart surgeon, was tarred by his association with former President Donald Trump. He was also a bad candidate. Fetterman is not important. With luck, he'll eventually disappear from the public eye. What is important is that America wakes up and jettisons the policies and the programs that are debasing our country. Let us strive for excellence. Let us set our standards high. Only then will we fulfill our potential. So Liz Peake wrote that piece uh, for Fox, and I thought it was worth sharing for the obvious reasons. It's true. We lower every standard in order to make people feel better about themselves. If you're not good at math, maybe because you're a minority, well, then we won't make you do math. If you're not good at speaking, reading, or writing well, we won't make you do those things right either. If you're not good at following rules, because of histories of oppression of people who looked like you five generations ago, well, we won't make you follow the laws. That bigotry and that acceptance and that promotion of lower standards is going to lower lower standard this country into that of a second-class world power, maybe third. Who knows? If we work hard enough at it, if we let the left work enough hard, hard enough at it, maybe we will one day become one of one of those countries that President Trump once referred to as a blank hole country. Because that is the direction we're on. It's ten fifty six. We'll take a time out. I got Jack Windsor waiting in the wings. He'll join us next on Always Right Radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, third and final hour underway. Eight minutes past 11 o'clock, 20th morning, ninth month, year of our Lord, 2023, rather. We missed him last week. He had the day off, but he is back with a vengeance this week, and his crowd looks bigger than ever. Everybody welcome the people's champion, Jack Windsor, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, also our State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. How are you, my man? I don't hear Jack. Do I have Jack? I thought I had Jack. Where's Jack? I'm here. Here I am. Yeah, there you, you go. Me? Yeah, now we got you. Hey, do you think the rock minds that I just gave you his title? The People's yeah. Champion? I didn't hear it. What'd you give me? I called you the People's Champion. I thought we had you on hold there. What the hell? I don't know what's going on here. No, no, I was on. I was live. And then, it, and then it faded out. Oh, I'm the people's champion. I love it, man. Yeah, Thank you. Well, I mean, you are. I mean, uh, for crying out loud, you got that crowd that follows you around more than it's bigger than the rocks, for crying out loud. So uh, he, he, returned to sm- he returned to SmackDown the other night, from what I was told. Or actually, from what Did I he, saw you on know, Facebook. Yeah, I think I, I, scrolling through my feed, I saw, I saw something like that. Um, you know, I haven't watched WWF, WWE, whatever the letters are. I haven't watched that for quite some time. But uh, I haven't either, legend, but, but so he, is a, he is such a... Obviously, he transcends what used to be WWE wrestling. You know, he's a, he's a worldwide superstar, and in fact, some people want him to be president. So when he shows up in an event and goes back to his old stomping grounds, makes an appearance, it was all over social media. So I did see it too. I used to watch it a lot with my kid, my son, but he grew out of it probably a little bit before I did. Uh, but we're <laughs> we're both out of it now. But the, but the Rock is still there, and he came out anyway. I I think of the Rock, and I think about his following, and uh, pretty much everything he says. It just draws massive pop from every crowd that he's in and it makes me think of jack windsor so you're the people's champion as far as i'm concerned hey man i i, I gladly accept that title there we go I'll, maybe we'll make t-shirts or something pop. we got to think of a <laughs> we, we got to think of a title for the little napoleon uh and maybe that's it i don't know but i just i i, I don't wish illness of any type on anybody but i could not help right. but smile and chuckle when i found out from you and through you that the governor of our state is uh, facing a little bit of a medical malady here. Would you like to tell us what happened? Yeah, so uh, according to my understanding, um, what I've read, uh, and of course I've reached out to Dan Tierney, who, by the way, refuses to acknowledge the Ohio Press Network or me uh, and respond to any type of inquiry. So thank you, uh, Dan. That's a stand-up job you're doing. Um, But I digress. Mike DeWine has... uh, 
COVID again. And I, Bob, I've lost track. I think it's three times, four times. I'm not sure, but I, I thought he is, you know, fully vaccinated, fully boosted. Uh, maybe he just hasn't had that fifth or sixth booster. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Mike DeWine has COVID again. I, uh, I just, you know, I, I'm sorry. I really, I'm really not trying to take pleasure in others' misery, which is, the, you know, the German word schadenfreude. I, but, first of all, I'm sure he's not miserable because he has a cold. Mike DeWine right. has a cold. We've been covering yeah. this ad nauseum particularly since NBC was forced to run a story that said doctors now are having a very difficult time distinguishing between COVID and allergies and the common cold because they are all manifesting themselves the same way, a sore throat and some nose congestion. (laughs) And so that's all Mike DeWine has is a sore throat and nose congestion. But you better believe as soon as he had a little bit of a clogged honker he uh asked somebody to jam one of those uh, swabs up his nose so that he can say see if he had covid or not which is what they want everybody to do in order to start the pandemic you know feeding frenzy all over again jack yeah and so there's a lot going on with the feeding frenzy but you know i, I posted last night just to remind a reminder that novel viruses naturally they become more infectious meaning they're easier to get mm-hmm. and less deadly over time and i think we're what in in fall number four, going into winter number four uh, of this virus. So you can expect that it's going to be infectious, um, you know, but the upshot should be that it's less deadly. But the other reminder, Bob, is that masks don't work. Masks do not stop the spread. (laughs) And it certainly appears that uh, whether it's the original uh, vaccine or one of the handful uh, of boosters, they don't stop the spread either. Uh, So, in fact, I, I, statewide, I, I don't think there's a great deal of concern. If you remember, Senate Bill 22, DeWine vetoed, and the Senate and House overrode that veto back in 2021. That created a special commission. So if DeWine and the Health Department are going to do anything, uh, the General Assembly has the ability to review it and put the kibosh on it or, or let it go through. But I think there is concern nationally. In fact, Senator J.D. Vance is holding a press conference today at noon to talk about what he and Republican senators are going to do to stop any federal mask mandates. Yeah, and we know he, um, he of course, introduced a, a bill along those lines and tried to get it passed with unanimous consent. It was shut down and shot down by, I think it was Durbin. It might have been, no, it might have been Markey. I think it was Markey. It was Markey. Um, so, the guy out there in New, Ham- was in New Hampshire, maybe. Yeah, or, Ma- yeah. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I think. Um, Massachusetts, yep. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad that they're still pushing on that. Now, I spoke yesterday with Lieutenant Lieutenant Governor John Husted. He assures me that there is nothing in the works at the state level that he is aware of. And I and I dug down pretty deep on that, Jack, by asking him when they came up with their horrific COVID protocols in 2020. Mm-hmm. Talking about Mike DeWine and Amy Acton and whoever else they had into their little inner circle. Um, of lockdowns, of closing businesses, of mask mandates, of jabs, and so forth. Um, was he privy to those plans then? In other words, might they be planning something for this quote-unquote COVID season that we're entering right now as they like to see it? Might they be planning something that he's not aware of? He he insists that that is not the case. Um, he said he okay. you know th- things that are done between Dewine and now the new director, which is Vanderhoff. Um, 
uh, that he would be in on and would be aware of. He is under, uh, he is aware of no plans whatsoever for mask mandates or for any school closures or any kind of steps to mitigate. Now, this was yesterday. I spoke to him yesterday before I found out that Mike DeWine has COVID. Now, whether Mike DeWine's yeah. new infection, which might be his second or third or fourth or whatever, as you pointed out, despite his multiple shots, I don't know if that changes things or not, but um, what do you make of, of Husted, the lieutenant governor, um, who I don't think necessarily has a fealty to, to DeWine this time that he had last time, no. because now DeWine is term limited and he's going to run for governor. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Do you believe him or not? I do. I do. Um, simply because I think, uh, I think John Houston has a lot of people on his team that are in the executive branch that are uh, really doing a lot of things behind the scenes. Um, in fact, there was a, a book written by Neil Clark before he committed suicide that essentially said it's, it's John Houston's people and, and Governor DeWine in the chair. And so I, I think that Houston probably has a good pulse on it. And I just want to remind this, this Ohio Health Oversight Advisory Committee is made up of members of the House and Senate. They get to review health orders and they have the authority to rescind an executive order issued by the governor or a special standing order or rule issued by the Department of Health uh, preventing the spread of contagious disease uh, if they have an order for, along those lines. Um, but it also allows the General Assembly to, to rescind health orders by a resolution meaning that the governor would not have to approve it. It allows individuals to sue the state over orders, stops local health departments from closing schools on its own, putting that decision into the hands of the school board. So I think it creates a little bit of a uh, focus on school boards. What are your local school boards doing? Are they going to try to mandate um, students staying home or masking up? So, you know, that's it. But that's good. Local control is good. Um, but no, I, I just don't think there's an appetite, Bob. When you look at the number of boosters that are being put in people's arms right now, I, I want to say it's probably projected to be around 20% or below. That means 80% of the people are going, nah, good, I, I'm good, thanks. And, and so I think politically, um, I think uh, John Husted probably can read those tea leaves and go, that would be a vastly unpopular thing for him to do. If Governor Mike DeWine had to deal with a primary in the middle of his handling of the COVID response, he would have lost. And I think uh, John Husted realizes that. So I don't think he has an appetite either uh, to bring out the COVID craziness again. I want to know if he's going to collect those millions he gave away in the Vaccine Millions program, considering that the shot that he was, he was au- or not auctioning off, but uh, raffling off in that, in that stupid lottery system of his, uh, was supposed to be something that stopped COVID from being spread. Now that we know, and many of us back then knew, but they did not verify, that it did not stop the spread. It only lessened the symptoms a little bit in case you get sick. Why would you give somebody a million dollars for for to take a shot that might make him a little bit less sick when it doesn't stop him from transmitting that virus to somebody else? Now, I'm obviously tongue-in-cheek here when I say collect those millions back again, but that's what people should always remember about the way they handled COVID. They were so irresponsible with businesses and their livelihoods, irresponsible with employees, irresponsible with with our liberties, irresponsible with people of faith trying to go to churches, uh, being able to say goodbye to their loved ones at funerals, being able to be there for moments of joy and weddings. Everything that was done, I think nationally was done just a little bit worse in the state of Ohio, unless I'm over, unless I'm remembering that wrong. Uh, Bob, I still have PTSD from that period of time. Uh, it, it's it's one thing to feel and see what we felt and saw at the beginning, and but I and, and that was well, this is this could be pretty dangerous. I understand, you know, the the two week deal, right, which turned into three years, two years um, to flatten the curve, and the curve, by the way, never got flattened. 
um, because mitigation measures didn't work. And we found out early on that those things weren't going to work. We found out that keeping kids home was going to uh, really kill their productivity in terms of education uptake, and it was going to kill the economy. It was going to have down-the-line impacts on uh, suicide, on addiction, and all these things. So we saw the train crash coming, right? But they still continued to do that, and they still continued to double down. And I think the biggest fallout, you know, we can we can kvetch about the lottery, and I think that that was wasteful. We lost a ton of money, by the way, to fraudulent claims, uh, unemployment claims, billions. So, uh, but the biggest challenge, I think, is that the state stepped in between uh, the doctor and the patient and really tried to wrangle the doctors and, and, and get them to do the things that the state wanted them to do. And what happened with COVID set the trust in public policy related to public health so far back. My concern is if we do get a virus that has a much worse uh, kill rate, that people are going to go, ah, mm, mm, do I really trust these people? And rightfully so, because they lie yeah. and, and they continue to go down the wrong track. When you establish yourself as a liar, people are not going to believe you, even if you tell the truth later. That's the reality of it. Jack, it's 1120. We're going to take an injury time out here. I just saw you get your knee rolled up from the side. That's not a good thing. We'll come right back after this on Always Right Radio. All right. Okay, 11.23, we continue now with Jack Windsor. Jack, apologies for the uh, knee roll-up thing. It was just a reference to somebody else who needed medical care, and that is Nick Chubb. I know you're a huge football fan and follower, Mm -hmm. as am I. That's why we uh, renamed our podcast, Run It Back, (laughs) Football Reference and More, Run It Back with Bob and Jack. Uh, Super quick. Yeah. Um, Are you okay with uh, the Browns now bringing back... um, Woman beating uh, running back uh, from Willoughby South, uh, uh, Kareem Hunt, because apparently he's now a Brown again. <laughs> well, look, when when they brought Massage Watson in, you just kind of threw your hands in the air and went, you know, what, what, "What'll be, will be." Um, which, by the way, he, th- that guy had a chance to step up into the spotlight and shine. And not only did I see poor performance, I saw poor leadership. Um, you know, the, the fumbles, the, the penalties, the grabbing of face masks and critical downs. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot. If, if, by the way, if I, if I were Kevin Stefanski, I'd have a coming to Jesus talk with him and say, hey, you got one shot, pal, or your butt's on the bench, and we're just going to we're gonna roll with DTR. I don't care what your contract is. Um, so, you know, I, I, from a football standpoint, it makes sense. Kareem Hunt knows the offense, he does. and he's a decent running back. Uh, I would have liked the Taylor kid who played at Wisconsin. Uh, but I don't think that the Browns have the money uh, because of their commitment to Deshaun Watson or Massage Watson, as I call him. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, it, they're in a tough spot. And what really stinks if you're a Browns fan is that defense is nails. Uh, they are fantastic. Um, so, you know, do, do I like Kareem Hunt as an individual? I don't know him. Maybe he learned. Maybe he has uh, been forgiven. And maybe he's turned his life around. I don't know. Uh, and I don't want to judge that. Well, he didn't, yeah, he didn't get in right. any trouble while he was a Brown. And that's, and that's true. But I know a lot of people were not necessarily thrilled when he came around the first time because of the way he left Kansas City. So I just kind of wonder, you know, if this is uh, something that, that is recurrent. Uh, and, and also... <clears throat> By the way, I cannot imagine a $230 million guaranteed contract being a clipboard holder. I cannot imagine that in a million years. That would take some serious chutzpah for Kevin Stefanski to do. He would have to tell Andrew Barry and Jimmy Haslam that they wasted $230 million. He's now my backup. I can't even imagine that. Uh, he'd probably, 
he'd probably lose his job over something like that. But I want to I want to progress here, Jack. The reason I yeah. went, brought up the uh, the terrible uh, situation involving Nick Chubb, and I think everybody's thoughts and prayers go to that young man. What a great great role model he is for uh, for athletes, yeah. uh, you know, for kids as an athlete, I should say. But he's now in the medical uh, uh, situ- in a medical situation. He's going to have surgery very very soon. It's going to take him a very long yeah. time to rehab. I bring that up as my segue into the medical community. You uh, have an article posted now on uh, on the webpage at uh, uh, the Hot Press Network about the woke implicit bias training in the Ohio mm. health system. You spoke with a nurse, uh, a longtime yeah. nurse with nearly 40 years of experience who was reprimand, reprimanded and then offered this implicit bias training for, uh, yeah. for going up against woke policies. What is going on in the Ohio health system mm. in that regard, Jack? Well, there is a, it's concerning, Bob. Um, there's this infiltration of wokeism. Uh, it's, it's really Marxism. That's really what it is. Um, but the, this nurse, uh, by the way, how this transpired quickly, uh, one of the leaders at the hospital system posted uh, something on a blog and asked for feedback. And so he said, well, yeah, I, I want to provide feedback. What they proposed was that to mitigate uh, higher mortality rates in babies and moms in the black community, uh, they were going to implement implicit bias training. And this nurse said, mm, not so sure I agree with that. Here are the facts surrounding infant mortality. This is what we should be focusing on. I, I don't think that implicit bias training really touches that. And so he was reprimanded and then essentially asked to take two, you know, double down on it, right? If you're going to fight against it, then you probably need two of those. And uh, he said, no, that's that's it. I'm done. And so he walked away uh, because he said, look, um, if we're going to make our standard of care something that is immeasurable, right, like how, do, how does the who, who created implicit bias and how do we know that person isn't implicitly biased? And now we're psychoanalyzing care providers when there are real hard facts and there is real hard evidence to support what creates certain conditions. And so that is the concern. It's scary. Uh, you know, if we're going to focus more on things that might be imaginary that we can't measure or see and that are doled out based on the color of our skin, uh, then I think our healthcare systems are are in trouble. Yeah, I I would uh, I would concur. I, I think there are more and more people. We talked about this in some depth on this program yesterday. I know you weren't here, but um, <clears throat> have less faith in the healthcare system today than maybe they ever have in their lives. Between the lies that are told about you know the safety and, and effectiveness of the shots. The lies that are told about boys being able to become girls and girls being able to become boys. Uh, the willingness to cut off healthy organs for profit, literally for profit and creating lifetime patients. Uh, the willingness to push pharmaceutical company products out to people without any concern for their safety. I think people just are very, very less trusting of the healthcare system now, um, maybe than they ever have been in their lives. And some of the woke policies and things you're talking about here kind of just reinforce that. I, I I feel like I have to be my own best health advocate because I don't know if I can trust the white coats to do it anymore. I couldn't agree with you more, Bob, and there are several things that are concerning. You watch TV, and, and what you see are commercials from organizations marketing their products. And so you have patients going into doctors and telling them, this is what I need. That's, that's bass-ackwards to me. And so, you know, we have a, a drug-centric culture where we think everything can be fixed with a pill. The reality is if you drink water, if you sleep, if you exercise and you eat clean, you're probably going to eradicate a lot of the issues that you may have in this life. 
Um, but the other issue is we, we have experience with how they handled COVID and how things that we know for a fact didn't work, they stood behind and they doubled down on. And then we all have these little experiences. I'll never forget taking um, Eva Grace to the doctor and saying, hey, you know, I'm giving her some vitamins and supplements. And, um, and then the doctor basically said, well, yeah, you can give her that one, but these don't really work. And I said, well, why does that one work and not, why does that one not work? And, and he had no answer. And then the, and the reality is that, you know, there's, there's a certain protocol that they follow because they're told to follow it. And there really wasn't a lot of thinking. And I remember back then going, oh, Lord, these, these guys are just so pro-medicine. They're, they're not necessarily pro-healthy lifestyle, and that's a problem. Yeah, and not that I can make any allegations here with any kind of proof or certainty, so I won't. Um, but I wonder how many of those doctors are so pro-medicine because they're getting a kickback or a cut or a, you know, some sort of a reason to promote certain medications from certain multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies. In other words, the more of these that you prescribe, it's kind of like what the government did with COVID. The more COVID patients you see, the more money you get. The more COVID patients you hospitalize, the more money we send you. And the more of them that you put on ventilators. No matter yep. if it's killing them or not, the more money we send you. The point is the, you know, are we calling it the medical industrial complex? It's alive and well, and it is, its intention is to feed itself, not cure its, uh, its customers. Well stated, Bob. I couldn't agree more, so live healthy. Yeah, yeah. Do, do the best you can because you cannot trust the white coats to be looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves and profit margins. Sad to say, that doesn't mean all, but that means those who make the uh, the medical industrial complex work. Jack Windsor, follow him uh, on social media. He is everywhere, uh, and make sure you subscribe to theohiopressnetwork.com. Theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack Windsor, thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, brother. You got it. Eleven thirty-one. Final segment coming up on Always Right Radio. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. So, what's going on right now? Right now in the House Judiciary Committee, they are grilling and questioning um, the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland. The man who is responsible for the two-tiered system of justice by which all Americans are now judged, if you are a Biden or a close associate or friend of a Biden, you are cleared. They go soft on you. If you are anybody even remotely resembling a conservative Republican, you are a domestic terrorist, and you will be treated as such. So Merrick Garland is being questioned about David Weiss, the handling of the Hunter Biden investigation, the handling of the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Ukrainian uh, bribe allegations, and so much more. And I don't know about you, but it just has me in the moods. So. child called me up just the other day he said dad i need some crack can you help me today and i had lots of cash with bills to pay he said don't worry dad i'll find another way he was smoking for i knew it and away he flew saying i'm gonna be like you dad you know i'm gonna be like you and hunters in the basement with a silver spoon the hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll be good and high by then, Dad Yeah, I'll be good and high by then Cause 
looking through rugs, um, smoking anything that re even remotely resembled crack cocaine. I'm very proud of my son. My son came around just the other day. He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid. Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay. Will anyone know? He said, no, no way. And as he walked away, he looked kind of dim and said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm gonna be like him He's, he's fixed it, he's worked on it And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Ukrainian bribes are gonna be there soon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll put aside your 10% and I'll always have your 10% So honey, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I'm fine I said, you're not fine I know how to game the system Come on, come on well, he came from Kiev just the other day And a smile so big I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you, how's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said Great big guy, but what I really need, Dad, is to borrow the car keys You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon Classified papers all over the room when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'm getting good and high again, Dad I'm getting good and high again He pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that that folks like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. Yes, they are. They're flat bugs. Come on. This guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away I called him up just the other day I said you owe some cash, I want my cut today He said, calm down dad, you know it's on the way But my laptop is gone and now it's on you And now we're both really screwed dad And now we're both gonna be screwed And as I hung up the phone it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me my boy was dumb as me And there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon All of our crimes were coming out real soon When's it all end, son? I don't know when But we're gonna end up in the pen, Dad We're both gonna be in the pen I am absolutely certain, 100% certain That at the end of the investigation That I will be of any God save the queen, man. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I still can't get enough of it. To Joanne in Twinsburg wants to talk about Ukraine. Hey, Joanne, you're on the air. Fire away. Well, I got a couple things. First of all, this Ukraine thing. I mean, I was kind of on the fence about Ukraine when Tucker first started talking about it last year, six months in. You know, I'm thinking is I mean, he's got a point here, but you know, I mean, if I feel bad for the everyday person whose house is gone, whose belongings are, you know, people need to find a charity, do what they can to try to help the people, and stop the rest of this. I mean, I think of Desert Storm. H. W. Bush said, "This is the end game, and when we get there, we're gone." And that's what we did. We have no end game here. It's just this nonstop tax us, tax us, tax us, give them more money. And I want to know how much money Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> you know, 
Chuck Schumer, all of them have made off of Ukraine on our back. I want to know. I would love to know that, too. Who figures out, who figures out and, and investigates them? The most if anybody important wants thing, to tell me that Elaine Chow didn't make money off of China... No, I, I agree with you. And, and the most important thing you just said, though, by the way, is what is the end game? When does it end? When Mitch McConnell says the same thing that Chuck Schumer says, the same thing that Joe Biden says, which is um, Nikki Haley, any amount, Nikki Haley, any amount, no matter how long it takes. In other words, there will right. be no end to the amount of money we will spend, no matter if this takes a month a year, or 10 years, or 20 years, this might be a forever war. Because at what point is Vladimir Putin ever going to declare, I surrender? When is he ever going to say, I've been defeated, and and roll back his troops back into his place, knowing that the last number of years and millions and millions of dollars of, of, you know, or or euros or whatever uh, have been been wasted? When is that ever going to happen? Since we don't know know, if that will ever happen, It's it's a forever war. We are a charitable country. And when people suffer, we answer. You know, find well, a charity that's helping people in Ukraine at the ground level, feeding them, giving them clothes, blankets, whatever, shelter, and put your money there. I mean, and people in this country will do that, Bob. You know that. I mean, I say to the Catholics out there, take your Catholic charities money that's being sent to overrun our border and give it to the people in Ukraine who are starving. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't disagree. I, I do not disagree you know, at all. There are ways to help in, in things that would be helpful, and there are ways to be taken advantage of. And you say we're a charitable yeah. country, but I think there are a lot of synonyms are, for so the word. There are a lot it. of synonyms for the word charitable. Syn- synonyms like suckers. You know, quite frankly, we are, and, and, and I think that's the case. You said you had a couple of things. What was the second one? Well, mostly that. But I mean, you know, it, I just you know, people need to you know realize that you know they're giving money to Catholic charities, and it's getting and down to the Texas border to help them bring more people here. I mean, when it's got to end, Bob. I mean, we got a pope that's out there telling us that we're fringe and extreme because we don't think that babies should be killed in the womb and that children should be mutilated. I don't... I mean, yeah. I'm waiting well, for him to jump on Malefic for what he said and what he's trying to do. Well, they are already, they're, they're already doing that. Stop. There's a there's yeah. a massive there's a massive petition gathering movement to try to force the church to retract that policy, to try to force the bishop to retract that. This is not Catholic. It's not Christian and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, they're already doing it. There is a massive pushback from government officials as well. So, um, you know, the re- and thank you for the call, Joanne. I got to let sure. you go there because we're just about out of time here. You've hit a couple of different points as far as the our own. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.